0: from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen.
1: I wrestle with the Catholic tradition, certainly, but it's also, it holds everything that I find mysterious and beautiful and attractive about God. I love how incarnational it is. Where I really pitch my corner of the the tent or whatnot within the Catholic churches, we are in communion with the earth. We're not here to subjugate it, but we're here to, to be one with it.
0: Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com/notseenradio. That's p a t r e o n.com/notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition, and she's a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media. She's written for Blessed Is She, Verily Magazine, Romper, America Magazine, and Relevant Magazine, and she's also the author of the book Embracing Weaknesses. Shannon Evans speaks regularly at churches, small groups, conferences, and retreats on topics related to motherhood, prayer, and justice, and leads groups in guided meditation. She's a mother of five and lives in Ames, Iowa. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Shannon K. Evans, welcome to Things Not Seen.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: So, As a way of getting into the conversation, I've asked if you would read a short paragraph from the fourth chapter of your book, Rewilding Motherhood, if you'd do that for us now.
1: Absolutely. No, I have not always been good company for myself. I've spent years asking God to change me, men to complete me, leaders to inspire me, friends to validate me, and community to sustain me. But there was a time in the beginning when this was not so. When I was a child, I would fill journal after journal with songs, poems, and fantastical magazine articles. I knew what it was to give way to myself, to dive deep and enjoy the swim in the waters that were mine and mine alone. I found my voice on the lines of those pages. I found myself even before I knew what to call it.
0: And that's our guest Shannon K. Evans reading from her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Well, I'm the parent of a daughter, and she's 11, about to be 12, and she is full of exactly what you're saying here. She writes in journals. She has a regular practice of diving deep into herself, as you write, and enjoying the swim in the waters. And one of the things that my wife and I talk about a lot with regard to our daughter is as she moves into the tween years and then into the teen years, we're both afraid that's going to disappear, that that's going to somehow be taken out of her by her school by her peer group by all of these sorts of societal pressures that tell her to be less than she is right now and so when i came to that paragraph in your book rewilding motherhood i was like ah we're not the only people that see this fear what was it like to rediscover those aspects of yourself that allow you to dive deep and to go greater than maybe you had thought that you could
1: it was mixed really i mean there was so much joy when i began returning to these practices that i had done as a child that had been so life giving and connected me to the sense of presence with god it was exciting and joyful and it was it was like kind of a fun surprise because i wasn't had almost given up on feeling that way anymore and then at the same time there was this and still is sometimes a, a a very real sense of grief that it was ever lost and this regret that i had let it happen or my parents bless their hearts sometimes you know in my worst moments i blame them because i want to blame somebody you know but i think that there's so many factors and there's so many reasons why and you know a lot of the book is exploring how to undo those things and i love you know you reading it from the perspective as a parent of a preteen girl of like, how do we prevent that from happening as best we can? But I, I do think that the return to myself in that way was so sweet that maybe it was even worth the years that were lost, if that makes sense. But there is grief there too.
0: You just said that the return to it was sweet. For listeners who haven't yet encountered your book, tell us a little bit about that sweetness. What was it like to rediscover that diving deep that you had lost for a number of years?
1: Yeah, my experience in motherhood is probably not that exceptional in that I think there's a very good and natural element when you become a mother and suddenly everything goes into this little tiny human that you love. However the child came to you, whether birth or adoption or foster care or step-parenting, you want to pour your whole self into that. And I think that learning to sacrifice on behalf of another, learning to, as we say in the Christian tradition, die to yourself or die to your flesh, those things are so precious and valuable. But I think that my experience as a mom, and I think a lot of moms have a hard time finding our way out of that or learning how to integrate that in a healthy way as life goes on. Cause we don't always have these little creatures who, who depend on our presence for survival 24 seven. So we have ideally would have to learn how to find that balance again of learning to give of ourselves for another and yet not lose ourselves in the process or for many of us, if we have lost ourselves, how to reclaim ourselves, how to refine ourselves. And yeah, for me, I mean, it was the process of many years and I mean, I, I come from, yeah my My years right before marriage and family life were very intimate with god. I, I I've always been a deeply spiritual person, and those few years in particular, I had returned to relationship with Christ and felt a deep sense of intimacy. And then, through the years of being married and and having children, I came to this sort of despondency of, I guess I'll never have that again. I'll never have that sense of magic almost in my spiritual life. And so as I kind of went down into this spiritual desert, I guess you would say, where I just wasn't really doing anything and checking things off the list or whatnot, when I finally started returning to myself from that place, there was so much yeah, sweetness, like I said, so much joy in realizing that returning to my truest self was returning to God and was returning to this mysterious, very personal and very earthy and incarnational and very tangible experience of God that I had once had that I thought was a thing of the past. And so it was just a joyful surprise, and it still just kind of delights me every day.
0: There's so much in that that I want to dig into, and we will as this conversation unfolds, but let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and today we're speaking with Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and has written for a number of publications. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality as i was listening to your answer a moment ago part of what came to my mind was a beloved poem i live in chicago and carl sandburg is an important chicago poet but he says what do you think in this poem and at one point in the poem he says you know our our job is to raise children who are healthy as little savages and the language is archaic but as you were talking about this the kind of joy of returning to yourself and the sweetness of it and the and as i was reading your book i realized that There's a real tension when we talk about wildness because on the one hand, you're presenting wildness as a good and positive thing, but a lot of our entire society is built on civilizing people and making sure that people are able to sit from nine to five in an office cubicle and able to do the things that they need to do in a regular way so that the shampoo gets sold. There's a real tension between a kind of wild abandoned to yourself and to the joy of yourself and the sweetness of yourself and just needing to make sure that everything runs the way that it's supposed to. And so I'm I'm wanting to ask about as we think about children and as we think about ourselves, how you've thought about that tension between I need to be civilized and I need to rediscover my wildness. Yeah,
1: I think that there's so much there of There's so much that that is very practical of like society does have to keep running. But I think that so much of our idea of what, like you said, what is it to be civilized? What is it to behave appropriately? I think so much of that comes from colonization and patriarchal structures that we're sort of awakening to, I think, as a culture to to realize maybe that's not the healthiest format for a society. And speaking for women in particular, I think that there is a real fear of being seen as out of control or being seen as unpredictable or untrustworthy. And I, I don't think that rewilding yourself means that you're not trustworthy or reliable or anything like that. But I think that there is this sense of compliance that women often try to fit themselves into a sense of obedience, even, and even just trying not to rock the boat, trying to make yourself smaller. And what happens to us is that there's just this, such a sense of repressing your honest experience and repressing your own voice until you become inadvertently voiceless without even realizing it. And I think that is, I think it can be taken too far. Certainly the rewilding thing of like just becoming sloughing off all responsibility or things. But I think for most of us, that's not a real concern. I think for most of us, it's the pendulum needs to swing more in that direction so that we can become more internally free so that we can become more honest with ourselves and in our relationship with God and our family members and find more genuine joy in life instead of just putting our nose to the grindstone and continuing on with the status quo. Well,
0: this is a tension that you take up towards the the end of your book, Rewilding Motherhood. You really talk about the and I'm going to use this word, I'm not sure that you'd agree with it, and feel free to push back if you don't, but the kind of gendered way that our culture thinks about responsibility. And so you've just talked about this kind of community responsibility where we're almost leveraged into civilization and giving up our wildness. But you note that For men in our society, they're oftentimes enculturated to be a lot less caring about the need to care for others and the need to be there for others and the need to be engaged with others. And so as we're moving towards our first break, I want to invite you to think about why it's important specifically to give these messages to women in our culture.
1: Yeah, I think that we are seeing the effects of our patriarchal structures harming men as well as women but it just takes very different forms and i think women are have borne more of the brunt of that but it but just like you said i think there's this sense that men really have to just not have feelings and keep going. It's like the the stereotype builds on itself. And I'm actually married to a man who has more feelings than either of us know what to do with. (laughs) So I I don't even have a deep personal experience with that type of man. But I think that the kind of social conditioning to, yeah, like you said, to have these gendered expressions and gendered experiences in the world. And yeah, for women, I think, yeah, there's a tension between... Pushing back against that and also embracing what is a true, what I call feminine spirituality and unapologetically feminine without meaning, you know, doormat syndrome or precious or flowery or delicate, but feminine in the sense of a deep, resonance with the human condition, a a deep longing to see the interconnectedness between all things. Women are very relational. Our relationships are very important to us. And so I think a feminine spirituality implements that in our relationship to the earth, our relationship to the global community, our relationship to our local communities, and our relationship to God as seeing, you know, as the Jesuits say, finding God in all things. I think that's a very feminine idea in the research that I've done comparing sort of masculine styles of worship or spirituality to feminine. And we need both. There is not one or the other, but I think I I think for me, I've pushed away that idea because I I don't want to be seen as this woman who is just very delicate and very soft-spoken and submissive or whatever. And and for so many of us, that is our association with femininity. And so I'm having to rewire my brain to reclaim that idea that femininity is necessary and is powerful and is really a healing offering to bring to the world at this point in history uh, now more than ever.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and is a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying this conversation, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Our guest today is Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition, and she's a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Well, in the first part of our conversation, a term has come up at several points, this idea of the patriarchy and patriarchal structures. And I have a vast listening audience, and so I am aware that certain listeners are going to hear that, and it's just going to be a buzzword for them, or they're going to say, aha, this is just another woke conversation. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to define your terms here. When you use the term patriarchy or patriarchal structures, can you tell us specifically what you're meaning by this term? Mm -hmm. Sure.
1: Yeah, I think it can be confusing because we have made so much progress, but But just historically, even talking about our experience in the United States of America, it's the founding fathers. Everything was male-dominated. Women didn't get the right to vote. And for many years, it's only been 100 years now, and that's white women. And so, and just in the workforce, it's a slow rollout, sort of like we see with racism of, you know, slavery was abolished. The civil rights movement gained Black people the right to vote. And yet, if we still connect the dots, we can still see how the effects of those things still are impacting the Black community today. That's a whole other thing. But I think it's comparable to looking at patriarchy where you can say, well, women now have every right that men do in most spheres, not every sphere. But I think that the idea is to more look at the formation of our society and how it is still trickling down today. And I think for women, yes, like patriarchy can be a buzzword and it can be a very divisive or isolating word. But I think when we examine the structure of a family and the assumption that the mother is going to stay home and and the father is going to work or that there even will be both a mother and a father in the picture. The assumption that if a woman works, it's only because the stars aligned and it and it works for her family and it works for her children. But if something ever stops working, like we've saw like we've seen in the pandemic, women are the ones who have to quit their jobs and stay home. And that is absolutely not a judgment on the worthiness of that work or I mean I I was a stay-at-home mother for years and years so it's certainly not at all anything against that but just the expectation the social expectation that this is how families run and in the Christian world the expectation that the husband is going to have more weight in the decision making and people have a variety of opinions about that but i think the point is to see to see some of the inequalities and some of the ways that this has really affected the psyche of a woman and has affected the way that she goes about her life and even the way that she perceives a relationship with god who in our christian tradition and in our culture is generally personified as male and so I think it is it is a big can of worms, but I, I don't think it has to be as scary or divisive once you start picking it apart. So hopefully hopefully people will, will keep an open mind with that word, at least in the context of our conversation today.
0: I really appreciate that answer, and it's just firing off a lot of follow-on questions for me, because in your book, Rewilding Motherhood, you're really creating a delicate balance here because there is one sense in which the inherited cultural norms of womanhood are restricting in the way that you've just described. Such a great example of even if African Americans receive the right to vote, there are still leftover structures that make it so that they are disempowered in certain ways. And we can see that analogy with women as well in our culture, even as they, they have more rights. There are still these kind of leftover cultural baggages. But so sometimes when we say, well, we need to get back to wildness, we need to get back to something that is a more natural affirmation of the power of a woman sometimes that language of going back to the natural can be used against us, because there are those that would suggest that the natural order of things, the truly wild, uncivilized order of things, is the kind of patriarchal structure that you've just said that you're trying to work against. So when you come to people that say, oh yes, let's go back to the way that that nature or God or whoever set all this up, and that means you need to be subordinate to me, how would you in- engage that kind of thought about what wildness or naturalness is, and how would you say, no, I've got a different idea of what wildness and naturalness is?
1: Yeah, I think that research and, and history has shown that actually hasn't always been the case, the male headship or or whatnot in societies that 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 kind of my understanding is that really started with when people started farming, but like in hunting and gathering communities in the very, very beginning, it was more egalitarian because both roles were very important. And again, I am not an expert on this, but my understanding is once agriculture was involved and that became the what the human society formed around, and that's what they depended on for their survival, then women were slowly began to because of the risk of miscarriage or tending to babies or whatever they were naturally indoors and men were men were more working and so that's when that started so i think historians can certainly elaborate on that a lot more than i i can but i don't think that it's correct to say oh from the beginning there was patriarchy because i don't see that i mean i know some people do point to the creation story in genesis And I touch on that a little bit in my book, and there are certainly theologians who explore that in much greater detail, but I think I might be misquoting, but I want to say it's Lisa Sharon Harper who said, patriarchy is not God's dream for humanity. And and in this story of Genesis, whether you want to take it literally or symbolically, patriarchy, that was not the original plan. That was a tragic consequence of what happened in that story. And so, but we look at what the original plan was of God, and it was very much equal partnership.
0: I, I believe that you are quoting that correctly. I, I think that Lisa Sharon Harper talks about that in her book the very good gospel so i 'm I was happy to encounter that in your own book rewilding motherhood because it's it was such a powerful thing when I first encountered that idea that there 's a way to reread that narrative that doesn 't involve the kind of hierarchy that so often gets put in there but th- that leads us then to a, a, a follow-on question as well, because you're talking about returning to a certain type of nature that's different from what, say, Catholics would mean when they say natural law in many ways. and Because oftentimes, coming out of the Thomistic tradition, Catholics look at the natural law of the world as a kind of hierarchical order, where certain things are naturally put in domination over other things. And so... I'm aware that I've introduced you several times as a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition, and a lot of the Catholic tradition is this kind of hierarchical, patriarchal sort of arrangement. I mean, the Catholic Church is a patriarchal church. So I'd like to invite you to begin to reflect with me on what it's like to be writing in a tradition that has certain premises and, and basic assumptions that's very different from where you're starting.
1: Yeah, thank you for acknowledging that it's not always comfortable. I mean, I certainly have had to do my own inner work and that's part of the that's part of what propelled me to start writing this book was because I was having to ask these questions as a woman in the Catholic Church and I was having to for the first time get honest with how I actually felt about it, not spouting off talking points, or m- more often for me, I just would just wave it off and say, well, that doesn't really affect my life. The patriarchal structure of my church doesn't affect my day-to-day life. But the fact is that I'm coming home to my own truth, and I think that it does affect my life, and it has, and it, it affects women everywhere, Catholic or not, really, because the, the Catholic Church is such a powerful institution, and Christianity, too. I'm picking on Catholicism a little bit, but but most of Christianity is still quite that way. But yeah, I I know I'm aware, and people make me aware that my writing sometimes makes them uncomfortable. But I think that when we look through the scope of history in the Catholic Church, the people who have been saying important things about changing with, and changing with the times is so trite, and I don't mean that, but changing, making changes based on what knowledge and understanding is available to us in our day and age. And I think that's going to be really different. So, so much of the Catholic Church should never change. It should stay this ancient tradition, because that's what makes it so incredible, and yet at the same time, there are parts of it the understanding of psychology and sciences and biology and human nature that I think really should be challenged and really should be very consciously and thoughtfully considered as we seek to be a church that speaks to the current generation and not changing on anybody's whim, but changing based on honestly, based on the facts, based on the sciences and and our exploration of that. But yeah, to go back to, to your question, yes, it is uncomfortable sometimes for me, and I'm aware that it's uncomfortable for others, but I think it's really important, and I get really inspired by women like St. Hildegard and St. Teresa of Avila and Juliet of Norwich, who were saying really subversive things in their time, too, and often were really considered borderline heretics or threats to the system. But now we look back and we see oh, their contribution was so important. And I'm not likening myself to them at all, but just to say I draw inspiration from the truth that sometimes hindsight is 2020, and the current climate can be more tense than the future will look more kindly on these thoughts, hopefully.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and is a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media and a number of other publications. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. I really like what you've been saying here in the conversation so far about how you're thinking about these questions with regard to natural law and the patriarchy of the Catholic Church. There's kind of one other question I want to ask that's in that same vein. I'm aware that Pope John Paul II developed a kind of way of talking about femininity, which he called the theology of the body. And it touched on sexuality, and it touched on you know not using contraception. It was a detailed kind of reflection on a way in which people could, and I'm going to make this, he didn't use this word, but rewild themselves or renature themselves back towards the the kind of natural law that God intended. And as I was reading your book, Rewilding Motherhood, I saw you doing similar moves. You were going back and saying, no, we, we need to think about, as women, the way in which menstruation and our kind of monthly rhythms, how that has been told to us that it's dirty and all those kinds of things. So there's ways in which I see parallels, but also ways in which I see distinct differences. And I'm wondering, as you were writing this book, particularly within the Catholic tradition, particularly as a person who writes often in the Catholic tradition, did you think at all about the parallels and the, and the contrasts between the way that you were thinking about this notion of motherhood and the way that something like Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body would describe and think about mother?
1: Yeah, I, I have to be honest and say I haven't read— his theology of the body myself. I'm I'm very familiar with the precepts of it, but I haven't read it myself. And I think that there is really so, you have so much value there. I think it's, he does really a beautiful job expounding on the human body and our sexuality. And I, however, I think that, I think anytime that, that something as huge as human sexuality comes from One person who has one very specific life experience as a straight, white, cisgender man is not going to be the full picture of human sexuality. And so I would really like to see something similar produced by a woman or someone who identifies as LGBTQ or things like that. I think that we need all of these. And certainly the Black community, I mean, the history of Black women and their sexuality being used against them during slavery is just, I want to hear about that in my Catholic faith. I want to hear what they have to say. So no disrespect to to, to St. JP too, for sure, because I think it, it's a really important contribution. But I was definitely aware as I was writing that it doesn't really feel like my experience. So I think it and and again, like I, I admit that I haven't read it myself, but I think of I think hearing from other women, hearing from the matriarchs who have really given themselves to the study of the, the human body and, and menstruation and right the rite of passage that menstruation is. That's really what inspired me more as I was writing.
0: I like that so much. And part of what I really love in your answer is so often we can think about civilization or enculturation. You said it before in the conversation, it's really a type of colonization. It's monoculture. And what I'm hearing you gesturing towards in your invitation to rewilding and to wildness is there are diverse voices. There are voices that are outside of my experience and I need to listen to them. You talked about LGBTQ voices and voices of persons of color. I really like that idea as a connection to what wildness really means. And if you're willing, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest learning opportunities for me in my, in my adulthood has been realizing that most of my belief system and most of my interpretation of scripture and most of my even moral systems come from people whose life experiences are pretty much exactly like mine. <laughs> and so I think and one thing that I tried to do in this book was actually cite women all across the spectrum. So I have women of color. I have indigenous women. I have gay women. I have a Mormon, a Buddhist, like a a Jewish woman or or a couple. Like, I just want to hear from a, a broad spectrum of people because, and I think that's very a very Catholic thing. At our best, I think Catholics, you know, it means universal. I think at our best, we are open to being a global people and learning from people whose experiences differ from us. And I think where we can get unhealthy just as human beings is when we insulate ourselves so much so that the only voices that we're listening to are the ones who share our life experience. And that can make it really hard to grow and learn and to to have our worldview shaped in a way that includes all people and can be a more equitable place for all people. And we're never going to achieve that by staying in the bubble and only listening to people who we already agree with anyway.
0: As you were answering, I was reminded of a quote from your book, Rewilding Motherhood. And I forget who it's by, but you quote someone who says, and if I paraphrase it wrong, please correct me, but someone who says, you know, I don't love everything in the Catholic Church, but everything that I love is Catholic. It sounds to me like there's a resonance there in what you're saying.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, that was just a friend of mine who said that when we were actually joining the church. And I think that feels so true. It's like I wrestle with the Catholic tradition, certainly, but it's also, it holds everything that I find mysterious and beautiful and attractive about God. I love how incarnational it is, you know, and and we were talking earlier about the idea of, of dominion and things like that. But then there's also in the Catholic Church, you know, Franciscanism. There's also brother, son, and sister Moon. And actually we don't have, and that's where I really pitch my corner of the, the tent or whatnot within the Catholic churches. We are in communion with the earth. We're not here to subjugate it, but we're here to to be one with it. And I'm really inspired by Indigenous voices and that way. I think that they really have so much to teach us about that. Yeah, I think I went off on a tangent there. <laughs>
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and our guest today is Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition, a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org, and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media and a number of other publications. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition. She's a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media and many other publications. Today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. You've talked about this at a couple points in our conversation, that when you look at the Catholic tradition, you engage with specific parts of that tradition, and you've talked about many of the female saints, so you've talked about Hildegard of Bingen and Julian of Norwich and others, and as I was reading your book, Rewilding Motherhood, I was frankly surprised at how often Ignatius of Loyola the founder of the Jesuits, showed up in the book. I had always had the impression that Ignatius was a macho saint. He was a former soldier and a kind of a man's man in many ways, and at least in the biographies and the descriptions that I've read of him. So I was surprised by this, and I'd love to find out more about what's the appeal to you from Ignatius of, of Loyola.
1: Yes. Well, I will say that I my introduction to Ignatius was was a group at my the parish that went through his spiritual exercises and it was led by two spiritual directors a male and a female and they are both people that I trusted extremely and also have a real gentle way of guiding the group participants, guiding directees in spiritual direction. And so I think that they did a wonderful job translating his intent. (laughs) So we're, we weren't so stuck on like the macho elements, you know, and we used the book, The Ignatian Adventure by Kevin O'Brien. I think he also does a really excellent job of acknowledging there are just very, some medieval things in Ignatius's writings. But I think the heart of his practice has been so transformative to me because it is, it essentially is about honesty And there is a lot of themes of self-trust, of trusting the movements of God inside of you, and inner freedom. So detachment from the desire to control, detachment from not just material things, but outcomes or or hopes or even dreams. And not that those things aren't good, but holding open hands. So there's been a lot. I, I actually find him to be like very Buddhist sometimes. And th- maybe it's especially the detachment thing, but I just, I find it so deep and yeah, you can, it's easy to get stuck on some of the caricatures of him, or even some of his own literal words or macho, or whatever. but the heart of the practice and the way that the Jesuits have carried that practice through the ages and seen it really transform marginalized societies, really seeing the ways of Jesus brought to the streets through. I think that's also what I love about it is that it's a very active spiritual practice. And yet it's also very internal and, and contemplative. And so, yeah, I just think it's super cool.
0: As you were answering, what came to my mind suddenly, I realized that I mentioned that he was a soldier, but I I had forgotten that he was also gravely wounded in battle. And, And so he had physical and probably emotional trauma from that he he had a kind of post-traumatic stress and that makes me think about the fact that in your book rewilding motherhood you talk about trauma bodily trauma of childhood and childbirth even and other kinds of trauma and so as I'm thinking about this I want to now ask you about trauma how does how does trauma and living through and healing from trauma play into this notion of rewilding
1: yeah that's a great question yeah I talk about in my book I mean Just relating related to childbearing in and of itself, there are so many ways that women carry trauma, you know, whether it's infertility, whether it's singleness, when there's a desire for children, whether it's miscarriage, stillbirth, any kind of infant loss, and a lot of women are able to carry and bear and birth healthy children and yet they have traumatic birth experiences where it's either they were treated poorly by the staff or it was an emergency and it was very scary there are so many ways that we carry that and often because those things happen because childbirth or miscarriage or infertility those things are not incredibly rare we think Well, we'll just keep going, we'll just handle it ourselves, you know, and so few of us actually get the, the counseling that we need or really take the time to devote to a grief process and are seeking out resources for that grief. So, so we carry so much trauma in our bodies. And then the statistics of child sexual abuse or rape, I mean, it's just, and I say even just, you know, catcalled or hollered at when you walk down the street, like there is this embodied sense of stress that comes with being in a female body that men don't relate to, that that men, not that they certainly are, have been abused and raped and things like that. But as far as just a day-to-day living or child reproduction, there's just so many more things that women are holding in our bodies. And so I think for me and I think for women, a huge call in this idea of rewilding, of finding our truest selves and finding God in our truest selves is acknowledging that and giving it respect and giving it honor and making space to feel the grief of that trauma to making space to prioritize it and to say, this is something that happened in my life and I want to speak about it. And and even if it's scary, even if speaking about it just means writing it down, journaling, maybe eventually being able to talk to a counselor or, or whatever the steps that particular woman needs but i think we have to move that trauma through our body in in some sort of tangible way so that it doesn't get stuck and and hold us down and carry or we have to carry it through the rest of our lives because i think that's where things really start piling up as far as feeling voiceless, feeling a lack of control and maybe seeking it through manipulation or seeking it through unhealthy means or unhealthy relationships and unhealthy parenting styles. There are so many ways that when we don't heal ourselves, we just transmit our wounds onto anybody who's near. And so yeah, I think trauma is a big part of the female story, and it's a part of the healing journey and rewilding ourselves.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and is a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media and a number of other publications. Today, we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Just a moment ago, you said that when we don't heal, that we carry our wounds into our relationships and impose our woundedness onto other people. And that brings me back to something that you said much earlier in the conversation, that when we're talking about rewilding, we're talking about health, but we're also talking about internal freedom. And I'd love to hear about the, the balance and the connection between admitting these traumatic points and healing from them and becoming more free in ourselves
1: yeah man it's it's such a journey and and it looks different for everybody but i think the first step is always honesty and i feel like i'm that's the drum i'm banging in this conversation of being honest with ourselves because i think that it's so easy to inadvertently deceive ourselves into thinking like well it's fine i'm fine i don't need anything i i should be happy with my life i should be content with with how things are but the reality is if we're not if we're not touching these places of deep hurt, then we are carrying them with us. There's really just no, there's no ignoring pain and trauma. Like it's gonna be transmitted somehow, whether or not we're conscious of it. And so I think doing the scary thing of looking within and being honest about how we feel. Being honest about even our doubts with our faith or being honest about objections we have to social structures or being honest about how maybe the format of our own family has been unhealthy for us. So many different things that can cause that pain, but getting honest is the first step on that healing journey. And then, you know, I I broke up the book into two sections. So part one is growing inward, and part two is flowing outward. And I I feel really passionate that those things should be combined in the same book. (laughs) Because I think that the inner life has to be attended to, has to be nurtured, has to be prioritized, in order for what flows out of us to be something healthy and life-giving, something that can heal the wounds of society, something that can raise a family who are themselves healthy and whole. And so I think I think many of us are inclined to gravitate towards one or the other, that kind of the introspective contemplative life or an action-based, let's do the work, let's get the feet on the ground. And both of them are so good. But to be healthy and whole, we have to be able to bring those things together and see how our inner life, that inner freedom, how that can produce a more loving, compassionate, merciful self to offer the rest of the world.
0: I think in our culture, we're oftentimes trained to see this pairing that you've just talked about, the kind of moving inward and then flowing outward. The moving inward is oftentimes described to us by our culture as an intensely personal, isolated, individual thing. Flowing outward is when you're being social. What struck me about the moving inward portion of your book, Rewilding Motherhood, was how relational it was, how much you were talking about that inward movement being in concert with other people. So I'd love to hear more about that. How does relationship factor into really moving inward, discovering ourselves and moving towards healing?
1: Yeah. One of the most exciting things for me with this book is that I'm already beginning to hear many, many women say, I want to gather a group of women and talk about this book. And I didn't really expect that. I don't know why I didn't really, I vaguely thought, Oh, book clubs, but I've had young moms Today, I had a woman in her 50s who said, I'm going to gather some menopausal women and we are going to go through this book together. And I was just like sending her a virtual high five because I think that that's exactly right. So we can look at it as, oh, this is our own personal journey. And it is deeply personal. And I think that is there is something incredibly precious and that should be guarded about rewilding ourselves within God and, and with God and have it be something so deeply personal that other people's input really doesn't matter. I think that's necessary to be able to trust yourself enough to keep going. But at the same time, I think once we start this journey, like it, it would be such a shame to not share it with other people, to not open it up and say, Let's explore these things together. Let me use my voice to tell you my story, to tell you my needs and my personal revelations that are happening in me right now. And I think the idea of women gathering to talk about these things, to talk about, like you said, like menstruation, things that we don't gather, like women used to gather and talk about those things, you know, ages and ages ago and, or or our reproductive traumas or our just grief and sadness over, you know, whatever it is that's going on in our life and how to get back to this more primal, more organic state of being that could save our spiritual lives really without sounding too dramatic. But I think doing it in conjunction with other human beings is an imperative part of the journey. I think that both parts are important and we can't separate, we can't separate that. But yeah, I think being honest with ourselves, bleeds over into more honesty with each other and that in and of itself is a healing thing
0: as you envision these sort of gatherings of shared witness shared wisdom as people move inward by working with one another to recapture this wildness how will the church change how should the church change
1: i I'm curious about that too. (laughs) I don't know that I have one specific outcome that I would hope for other than, I think that anytime women feel like heard, anytime that women have been given a microphone, we're going to have a healthier system because like returning to earlier in our conversation, if you're only hearing from one type of person, it's never going to be healthy and whole because there are more than the white straight male in the world. There's so many different kinds of people. And so the more people who can have input in, you know, the decisions of the church and the leadership of the church, the more women we can have in those spaces helping to, I mean, women are, I think the statistically more than half the church, at least half, if not a little bit more than half. And so how could the system as a whole be? be rewilded? I mean, that's a really huge question. I'm not sure my imagination is quite there yet, to be honest, but it's fun to let myself start thinking and hoping.
0: And as you have brought this book, Rewilding Motherhood, into the world, as it has been going through its own kind of birth process, and now you're watching it affect other people, how have you been changed?
1: It's a very validating experience. I am someone who spent a lot of my life with a lot going on inside and not sharing a lot externally. So I share a lot with, with my husband or my immediate family members, but I can be a bit guarded. I can be really careful about being honest. You know, my, my thoughts and opinions at the same time, sometimes I let loose. And (laughs) so just like everybody, there's contradiction there, but I can especially things that are deeply personal to me, it has been a practice for me to start using my voice and believing that my voice matters, believing that I can trust, I can trust the spirit within me to to lead me, that I know the way. So I think to have put something so personal and yet so universal on paper and have women say, this book is changing my life. This book is my most dog-eared book of all time, or I'm underlining every page, or I can't believe, I feel like you wrote this just for me. It's incredibly validating. And I think that, I, I think a lot of women can relate to that feeling of hesitancy to use our voice. And this has just been such a moving experience for me to say, my voice matters. It matters to people. It matters to people's real, lived experiences and it makes me just want to you know keep writing more
0: (laughs) well i certainly hope that you do continue to write more and that when you do you come back and talk to us about it shannon evans like you i talk a lot with those that are close with me, particularly with my spouse. And I can just tell you that your book, Rewilding Motherhood, has already given us some very fruitful, intimate conversations, and it's going to be fuel for many more conversations to come. I'm so grateful you took the time to write this book, but I'm especially grateful that you took the time to talk about it today with me and with my listeners. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, David. It was a joy, really.
0: We've been speaking today with Shannon K. Evans. She's a writer in the contemplative Catholic tradition and is a monthly columnist for Jesuits.org and a regular contributor to Franciscan Media and a number of other publications. She is the author of Embracing Weakness, and today we're talking about her recent book, Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC.